Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 206, Nicholas V. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope was born Tommaso Parentucelli on November 15, 1397, in the small town of Sarnza, Italy. His dad, who seems to have been a doctor, died when he was a young boy, and the future pope was had to give up his studies at the University of Bologna due to lack of money. Paying his way through school by serving as a tutor in Florence, Tommaso became acquainted with the burgeoning movement of the Renaissance, which was centered there in Florence. He finally raised enough money to complete his studies in theology, and he was ordained a priest and taken into the service of the Bishop of Bologna, who was a Carthusian monk named Cardinal Niccolo Albergati. When his bishop was named a cardinal, Father Tommaso accompanied him to the papal court. Now, During this time, he gained a reputation both for honesty and piety, and for a love of learning, and especially a deep love of books. During the Council of Florence, his knowledge proved helpful and caused him to attract the attention of Pope Eugene IV, who had eventually named him the Bishop of Bologna when his patron died. He was sent by the Pope on diplomatic missions to Germany, which resulted in his being named a cardinal in December of 1446. All this happened in just three years, going from an obscure priest to cardinal, and then at the end of those three years, Pope. In 1447, Pope Eugene IV died, and Cardinal Tommaso entered the conclave as no one's choice for the Pope. He was close to the Holy Father. He had given the Holy Father the anointing of the sick before he died, and he had preached a powerful homily at his funeral that some said seemed more like that of an angel than that of a man. But nevertheless, he wasn't a real potential successor. He was the least experienced, the least qualified in time of, uh, in terms of time of service, and he was certainly not from a powerful Roman family. He was a good man, and he was intelligent, and he was widely respected. The conclave met at the church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, and despite the threatening forces of Alfonso of Naples and Aragon, who had been fighting with Eugene IV, the conclave proceeded unimpaired. Cardinal Prospero Colonia, the front-runner in the conclave and one of the powerful Colonna family, was only two votes away from being named Pope, but he couldn't quite get those last two votes. Other prominent churchmen were considered until finally on the third ballot out of nowhere, Cardinal Tommaso Parantucelli received the required majority. It so surprised everyone that when one of the cardinals was asked on leaving the conclave if the cardinals had picked a pope, he responded, no, the pope has been chosen by God, not by the cardinals. He took the name Nicholas V after his patron, the great and holy cardinal Niccolo Albergati. Now, the first thing on Nicholas's uh, plate was the resolution of the conflict between the renegade council of Basel and its antipope Felix V. Just before his death, Eugene IV had concluded an agreement with the new Holy Roman Emperor Frederick III, which basically cut any support Felix V had politically. This was followed up with a concordance signed in Vienna, which regularized, for the most part, the relationships between the emperor and the papacy. Everyone was tired of schism. We had the Great Western Schism. Now we got this smaller schism. And most of the people of Basel, where the council was meeting, were really tired of it. And so when the Council of Basel decided to leave the town, the people rejoiced. Eventually, Felix himself submitted to the pope and was appointed a cardinal and a papal legate of his home in Savoy. The Council of Basel, now in neighboring Lucerne, was brought to elect uh, Pope Nicholas Pope again, and then it dissolved itself and ended the conflict completely. Now, as anticlimactic as this sounds, the reality is huge. Felix V is the last 
really recognized anti-pope in history. From here on, there will be no significant anti-popes that we will have to deal with. There's always one or two people around who say that they're the pope, but none of them really have any support and none of them have any real following. And this will also mark the end, at least in major ecclesiastical circles, of the policy of conciliarism, which had been promoted by the Council of Constance and which saw the ecumenical council as a type of ecclesiastical parliament. Everyone was just getting tired of it. But the reforms that the councils had hoped to bring about didn't really get off the ground, in part because of all the fighting over the legitimacy of the council. So Germany, for example, still has a lot of issues with poorly formed clerics and abusive practices regarding finances, and it won't take too much more time for those issues to really come to the fore. In order to effect that reform that the council had pushed, Pope Nicholas sent one of his most learned and zealous cardinals, Cardinal Nicholas of Cusa, to Germany to preach reform and to draw those areas which had been opposed to the papacy back into the fold. By all accounts, it was a beautiful and fruitful endeavor. His efforts in Germany were seconded by the friar St. John of Capistrano, who preached throughout southern Germany along the same lines. He was widely regarded as an incredible preacher who lived what he preached, working with the sick and suffering in every town he visited. One chronicler who witnessed him said that he came to town, the men and women there burnt their false hair and gambling cards. Apparently after preaching in eastern Germany and Poland, thousands of young men signed up to be Franciscans almost immediately after his homilies. Now Pope Nicholas back in Rome was preparing for the Jubilee year in 1450, which was a huge to-do in a Rome now free from schism and with the Pope back home where he belonged. The prolonged time spent in Avignon had effectively depopulated Rome, and wolves were known to be in the city itself. In 1450, so many pilgrims clogged the streets that several hundred died during a stampede on the Angel's Bridge by St. Peter's. As the pilgrims were leaving St. Peter's, they clogged the bridge, which was already clogged with shops and animals. The animals were spooked by the throng, who then couldn't move forward and packed into the bridge, and it caused more than 170 people to die. Now, the Pope was devastated. He felt the tragedy personally. He cleared the houses in front of the bridge away. He erected chapels at the bridge to have masses there said every day for centuries for the victims. But despite the tragedy, the Jubilee was a great boon for the papacy and for the city of Rome. The influx of pilgrims, both of rich and poor estate, brought a lot of tax revenue into the city, which was used to repair and elevate Rome itself. Pope Nicholas, with his early exposure to the Renaissance humanists in Florence, set about doing in Rome what had already been begun there. He became a huge patron of the arts and learning. No pope in centuries did so much for the city of Rome as Nicholas V. He built the beginnings of the current apostolic palace at the Vatican and, and the Vatican museums. He restored countless buildings in Rome. He brought the best architects in, painters and scholars, to transform Rome into a true Renaissance city. He was a tremendous collector of books, as I mentioned earlier, and he sent scholars around the world to bring back key works for the history of faith. Famously, he set a reward of 5,000 ducats to anyone who could find him an original copy of St. Matthew's Gospel written in Hebrew. He hired scholars to translate the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew, and his goal was for the Vatican to become an open source of learning, where anyone would have access to his library and be able to learn more about the faith. He so loved books, having been a librarian as a young man when he was also a tutor and, and, and a calligrapher, that he kept the rarest and his most favorite books in his own bedroom. Now, the great papal historian Ludwig Pastor relates that one chronicler wrote about Pope Nicholas. It was his greatest joy to walk about his library, arranging the books and glancing through their pages, admiring the handsome bindings, and taking pleasure in contemplating his own arms stamped on those he had been, that had been dedicated to him, and dwelling in thought on the gratitude that future generations of scholars would entertain towards their benefactor. 
Nicholas is credited with founding the Vatican Library and Archives, and he was truly one of the first popes of the Renaissance. But the pontificate of Pope Nicholas V was not all sunshine. We talked last time about the dire plight of the Byzantine Empire, which was being pressured by the Ottoman Turks, and by this time had a Turkish army at the walls of Constantinople. They'd come to Florence, if you remember, to try and unite religiously with the West and overcome the schism between the Catholics and the Orthodox, in part to try and gain some military and political support for defending Constantinople from the Turks. But the union wrought at Florence began to fall apart as quickly as it had begun. Meanwhile, the Ottoman Sultan Murad had pushed across to the Balkans and had conquered most of what was now Bulgaria and North Macedonia. He was brought to battle on the plains of Kosovo in 1448 by the Serbian prince Lazar, and the result of the battle was a terrible defeat for the Serbs, the end of Serbia as an independent state for centuries, and it seemed like the Ottomans couldn't be stopped and were going to continue encroaching on Europe. When Pope Nicholas heard about the Battle of Kosovo, he began to work at once to strengthen the Christian states in the Balkans, working especially with a Hungarian captain named John Hoindai. He worked to bring the King of Bosnia back into the Catholic fold and support him as well diplomatically. But with the breakdown of the relationship with the Byzantines, who reneged on their promised union at Florence, it seemed like the city of Constantinople itself was doomed. In 1453, the Ottoman armies had surrounded Constantinople, and despite the prompting of the Pope, Western navies and forces were loath to help. Faced with a massive artillery barrage, the city fell on May 29, 1453. The true last of the Roman emperors, Constantine XI, hung himself as the Ottomans entered the city, and the Cardinal Isidore of Kiev, who had been sent to Constantinople to support the city, was sold into slavery. The Pope was shocked, and all of Christendom was shocked. And you have to realize how immense this issue was. Constantinople was one of the largest, most important cities in the history of the world. It had been built by the Emperor Constantine and had never really fallen. Even during the Fourth Crusade, it was kind of betrayed. And the fact that now the Roman Empire was effectively over and gone was a huge shock to everyone. And the Pope immediately put out a call for a crusade, but this shock certainly affected his health as well. He was bedridden for most of 1454 due to an acute case of gout, and his distress increased as the issues began to arise in the Papal States. He was saddened to the end, saying that the burdens of the office were too much, especially how others treated him. He said on his deathbed, Thomas, meaning himself before the papacy, saw more friends in a day than I do in a whole year. As he came to the edge of death, he prayed, Almighty God, give the Holy Church a pastor who will uphold her and make her increase. I also beseech you, speaking to his friends around him, and admonish you as urgently as I can to be mindful of me in your prayers to the Most High. Then after giving everyone a blessing and looking at the crucifix, he died. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica, and he was succeeded by Pope Callistus III, and we will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast and all our back archives at catholiclink.org, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you.